This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Enterprise show. I'm your host, Norman Lau, and thank all of you for joining us here in the Decon Chamber for another episode, a very special episode, actually, dedicated to crewman Elizabeth Cutler, played by the late Kelly Waymire, who was incredibly lovely and incredibly gifted, and we lost her way before her time. Now, Kelly, like crewman Cutler, showed so much promise And held so much potential, and we would like to dedicate this episode as a Valentine, because Valentine's Day will be coming up soon, to Kelly and to honor her memory and her spirit. And to help me do this are my very special friends and brothers in the blue skivvies here in the decon chamber, fresh from the frozen tundra that is the northeast of the U.S., Trek FM's very own content coordinator, Will Nguyen. How are you feeling, Will? Uh Feeling pretty good to be in the decon chamber. Uh, seems like it's a full house tonight. Uh, definitely warmer in here than outside, which is pretty much Andorian summer. Uh, in my <laughs> mind, if that's Andorian summer outside, that means if there ever was Andorian winter on Earth, we would all die. Because <laughs> that's pretty brutal. That's super cold. <laughs> super, super cold. Uh, and while he's not sewing uniforms or watching countdown timers for his graphic rendering programs for Star Trek Horizon... Back again for another round of Decon Gel is Tommy Kraft. Tommy, how are you? I'm lovely, thank you, and I'm really enjoying the Decon Gel lately. It's just got a wonderful, wonderful, smooth sensation. You know, because uh, because we have to defrost, we'll maybe we'll ask Flocks to mix in a little bit of Icy Hot, so you have that nice deep burn, all these Decon Just like Tiger Bomb, That would be right? wonderful. There, that's you better right. be careful where you put I that. I need the defrosting, too, though, because it's really cold up here where <laughs> I am, too. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you guys have to endure such cold, but uh, we'll we'll make sure that uh, we'll keep everything nice and uh, toasty here in the uh, decon chamber. Um, bring in a little bit of Southern California sunshine for you. And how lovely of you! Well, you know, I'm looking out for you guys. You know, my my, you. my my brothers in blue, as we say. Yes. And for the first time with me in the decon chamber, Trek FM's very own host of my favorite watering hole, the 602 Club, and co-host of the Orb and Literary Treks. Matthew Rushing, who actually suggested this idea to me, and I, of course, felt compelled to make it so. Matthew, how are you, my man? Well, I gotta say, uh, hey, Flocks, can I get some more of this stuff right here? It's feeling great. Yeah, I love it. Not the stuff. Yeah, that no, burns. no, that, but the red. Uh, yeah. yeah, that the red one. Yeah, no, no, not that red one. The other one. Yeah, that's great. Now, I told him to take the sriracha out of the oh, decon oh. chamber. Well, but it... That goes it, back to the I mess hall. I need that to go in my pan-fried catfish. Triple yeah, he, he really does. I figured, I figured since I was in the decon chamber, I should, I should get a little Texas twang in there for you guys. Thank you so much. On the notes here, as you may see, there's a, there's a special missing man formation chair in the decon chamber for none other than our intrepid leader... Christopher Jones, who I know is a huge Crewman Cutler fan, and it would be remiss of me not to uh, have him involved, at least in spirit, because I know time is uh, is pretty premium for him right now. So, Christopher Jones, shout out to you, my He's man. probably on a Section 31 okay, so mission, right? We don't talk about that in here. It's oh, like oops, Fight Club. <laughs> if you disappear, Will, that's, that's on true. you. Christopher Jones, I have nothing to do with that. Guys, thank you all for joining me here on this show to honor the work and the spirit 
of Kelly Waymeyer by discussing uh, a little bit of her acting career, a little bit of her personal life, uh, at least um, some of the details that we could find on the internet. Um, but just the spirit of the character and why she has become so popular in the very short amount of time that she actually had on screen. So um, let's let's dig in a little bit here to uh, who who was Kelly Waymeyer. Um, she was 36 years old when she passed. Uh, she passed from a, an issue with cardiac arrhythmia. She was born in Columbus, Ohio in 1967. Uh, it, here it says uh, she received a Bachelor of Fine Arts from Southern Methodist University in, in Dallas, Texas. Uh, she graduated in 1993 from University of California in San Diego with a Master of Fine Arts. So she really did you know, pursue the acting track, and it looks like she was very dedicated to her craft. Uh, she won uh, a very prestigious award, the Greer Garson Award, at Southern Methodist University, and uh, it was named after uh, a Academy Award-winning actress. Um, uh, did you guys uh, find anything else out in particular of interest that we can tell our listeners about uh, this wonderful actress? Well, I didn't realize that she had been on so many different shows uh, that I, I, I actually liked. Uh, she was on one of my favorite shows, uh, Everwood, uh, with Treat Williams. Uh, she had been on an episode of Friends, uh, you know, something like NYPD Blue. Uh, you know, so she had been on a lot of different shows, Six Feet Under, which so many people love, Judging Amy. I mean, so she had done a lot of things before she had, had been on Star Trek. And, um, you know, it's it's cool to see that um, she had kind of, of been around in Hollywood for a while by the time she you know, got the recurring gig there on Enterprise, which, you know, I, I think we all, if you were watching Enterprise in its first run, every time she was on, I really in, in, enjoyed that character, kind of hoped she would continue. So I thought it was really cool is to look and, and just see the body of work that she did do and that she had been on a lot of other shows that I really enjoyed. And, and now I need to go back and watch those episodes. <laughs> you know, um, because... It was in 2003, and the internet wasn't the internet that we know now. I think when she kind of disappeared from screen, a lot of fans were like, what happened? You know, did she not resonate well? You know, did she not connect with the audience? Or was this just a symptom of enterprise? You know, we were trying new things. Things didn't work out. Ideas, characters were discarded. Um, but it this wasn't the first time that she was on Star Trek. Uh, I believe that uh, Voyager fans would have seen her uh, in an episode called Muse, and I didn't see that episode personally. Do you, do any of you guys know of that episode? Did you see that episode? Was it was it a big part for her, or was it just an entry point type of uh, uh, acting opportunity for her? It's not a big part, but I I you know as I'm thinking back to the episode, I can I can see her uh, as the character. So and and I need to go back and watch it now. Um, just to see how how big it was, but it's so cool the fact that she actually uh, had been in Star Trek before. They liked her enough to put her in the brand new show, um, and they did that so often with their with their characters. You know, the recurring actors would just come back and play something else. I mean, gosh, Jeffrey Combs, he's everywhere. Uh, Star Trek yeah, everywhere. And guy. so yeah. uh, it was great that they liked her, and they were actually giving her, you know that recurring role on on enterprise that could have been something amazing uh so really enjoyed the fact that that she had done so much uh different in hollywood with different shows and and then the fact that she'd been a voyager i gonna have to go back and watch muse and um and enjoy that and you know think of to the journey as i do to the journey, to the journey. it's a good one it's a good line i think um from what I remember of Muse too, and I got to, I have to go back and rewatch it as well. I think the role, although not as um, substantive as I think her other roles, I think it was much more. Uh, it was different in tone. I think it was more antagonistic. There was more of a different personality in that role. Obviously, uh, she was playing an alien, yeah, in a Greek theatrical setting. Um, there was a lot more um, kind of an old old school stagey feel to it. Um, so that, I think, illustrates the fact that she had depth as an actress. I think she, uh, her background illustrates the fact that she starred in theater, as many Trek actors do start in theater. Uh, I think it's been mentioned before that the material of Trek lends itself easily to um, theater actors because they really have to emote 
through the makeup, sometimes through the prosthetics, through sometimes that really technical techno babble jargon. So I think she just comes from that um, pedigree of, of theater and it shows. Tommy, what about you? Do you remember seeing Kelly like in the, you know, on all these little different bit parts that she had, you know, before her career in Star Trek? Do you, do you have anything that may specifically stand out to you in any way? I don't, but then I was like uh, probably 10 or 11 years old at the time, which is kind of ridiculous. I mean, Enterprise, I mean, around early 2000s, yeah, that's about how old I was. And I remember when I was watching, re-watching Enterprise a couple of years ago for the first time since I was 10 or 11, I wondered where her character disappeared to. And I was, I had as also, I had as well chalked it up to the writers just kind of dropping the character or whatever until I Googled her and, and found out that she had passed away, which was, was just a terrible tragedy, I think. Um, not only for her dying so young, but I think she had a great gig there with Enterprise and a great character that added a lot to that show. Yeah, that's definitely for sure. And that's one of the reasons why Matt and I talked about this specific subject because it's it's almost unfortunate not only that Enterprise was cut so shortly, but some of the characters were also not given their full due. And in this case, because of the tragedy that happened to her, we really didn't get a chance to understand her as an actress, let alone the potential that she would have had as the character of Crewman Cutler. Now, there are a couple of really interesting tidbits of articles that I was able to find on her going all the way back to Star Trek Communicator issue 139 if anyone wants to look this up. She had an interview and on page 43 of this interview it says at the time of her casting crewman Cutler Kelly Waymeyer was not entirely certain about the specifics of the part. She later explained quote I had no idea what they wanted for the part but I don't think they did either. I thought if they bring me back fabulous if not then it would still be okay to do one end quote. And I find that particularly interesting when we first saw her in her first appearance on Enterprise in Episode 3, Strange New World, because she had such a vibrant personality. She had such optimism in her eyes. And for somebody that wasn't obviously given too much direction on this character, she instantly sold you as being this person who was not only highly trained, with a very specific skill set, but also really optimistic and enthusiastic to get in there, get on that planet, and start doing her work and start doing her job for Starfleet. How did you guys feel when you first saw her as this new crewman for this show? I think it's a testament to what a good actress she is, and it goes to show you um, how good TV actors especially have to be because I remember an interview with Terry O'Quinn, who played John Locke on Lost. And spoiler alert, in the last season, he is the ghost monster. Or the, not the ghost monster, the smoke monster. Um, and he was talking about in an interview when he had come back from the dead that he didn't really know any of that. The writers had basically just told him that he had to play it incredibly confident and he knew everything that was going on. But beyond the episode that he was working on on any given day, he didn't know what the writers had planned. And often in case in the case of Enterprise, the writers didn't know what they may or may not have planned. And it's a great example of an actress giving something to a character that wasn't there on the page originally. And it's just I think part of that, too, is the Enterprise, the time that it was made and the kind of show that it was had really no plans for much serialization to their storytelling in those early episodes. And when you get a really good actor, I know from working with them that comes in and does that with a character really brings it to life. It can just totally inspire you to do so many more things with a character that you wouldn't have thought of before. Well, I remember thinking, man, this, this, you know, below the decks character, man, she's so cute. Like guys, like immediately yeah. drawn to, to she's a she's beautiful and she's vibrant in the role and she stood out even in that scene with with the other crew member that she was with and the little conversation that she had. Everything about what she was doing with with the character was was standing out for me when I'm watching, you know, a strange new world the first time and thinking, oh wow, this would be kind of cool if 
this I hope that they keep this this small character around and that they continue. You know, we'd seen characters the kind of the, the lower decks episodes of, of the other shows. We in Next Generation we'd seen it, we'd seen it in Voyager. I was hoping that in Enterprise, because the ship was small, we would get some of those recurring smaller roles. Uh, because there's what 83 people on Enterprise, so you're you're gonna bump into the same people every week. At least you should, honestly. And uh, what she was doing was standing out enough that I was thinking, okay, this is really gonna go somewhere, especially with the relationship that she's cultivating with other crew members. Um, you know, the way she was interacting with Trip and Travis when they're telling stories, the way that she was interacting with, um, you know, Sub Commander to Paul and you know, trying different foods. I mean, she's honestly one of the most open humans that we see on Enterprise at the very beginning. You know, she's already digging in and, and embracing that itic. You know, she's she's trying Vulcan food. Later, she's going to be interested in the doctor. I mean, like, she's just enjoying all it means to be a human and be in space and be really exploring. And I kind of thought of her, she's really the anti-Hoshi. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Well, yeah, I think for me, I think I mentioned in our conversation before, Norm, that I like the fact that she could have had the beginnings of, of, of the lower decks type character, which people have mentioned before, but also for me, almost like the Miles O'Brien character where you had the seeds planted in TNG, but obviously blossomed in to full fruition in Deep Space Nine and you start to see those elements there. I think in Strange New World, it's her biggest part or her most substantive part on screen. Obviously, her subsequent episodes also have a lot of value to them too. But I think in this particular episode, you really see that she is the stand-in for the audience, right? She is a crewman. She isn't part of the senior staff. She's enlisted, much like O'Brien is. You know, she's she's assisting in a lot of different mission aspects, She's knowledgeable. She's really inquisitive. She's really the type of embodiment of, you know, the, the, the crewman that would go on an NX-01 mission, a, a deep space mission, someone that would willingly go on such a, a long-term mission away from family, away from, uh, away from Earth. And I think back to what uh, Engineer Kelby or Commander Kelby would be in, I think, season four, where you have kind of that recurring character that was almost the foil to, to trip. And I think in a lot of ways that type of template of a recurring character becoming more substantive, becoming more meaty, much like Commander Kelby later in season four, you had that potential in Crewman Cutler to be the audience surrogate, to be a type of lower decks person to bounce off different storylines to see how she could play off different um, members of the senior staff. But also, you know, I think just really provide an interesting contrast to other characters like Hoshi Sato, just in terms of personality. You know, in a couple episodes prior, Christopher and I were talking about the graduating class of 2151 and, and what you would expect from a crewman that was chosen to be part of this 83 man and, and woman and one dog crew. And where a lot of fans had an issue with Hoshi because of the way Hoshi's personality was, I really thought that this early on, in season one to see a character that was so robust and so fearless as crewman Cutler was with her duties was a really nice contrast to where Hoshi was in terms of their outlook on the mission. I think it was important to have that character because I've always said this before about Star Trek in almost any series. When you have a character where the audience itself can see through their eyes like a data you know or like crewman cutler in this case and understand the storytelling from that particular character star trek really does its job well because the audience has to feel that connection i don't think that they felt that way about hoshi because that's not what they felt was indicative of a trained starfleet crewman but now you have this, again, she was very skilled, she was very capable, but she was also very daring and very flamboyant, aside from being gorgeous and bubbly. And that was, again, it was something that was necessary, and I'm glad it came that early. Well, I think that the thing that she brings to the role is that 
she is the girl next door, you know, uh, she has that kind of um, mentality to her where she's just very easygoing and she's um, bubbly, like you said, but she's also just down to earth, you know, uh, as much as you can be on a starship. Uh, and she she makes you feel comfortable with her and she's trying to get to know you whether you are to Paul or you know whether you're uh, her other crew members or, or whether you're you know say the doctor you know all of these places she's really doing her best to integrate herself into this crew in all different ways and I think that was a really neat thing to be able to see and really interesting viewpoint to give us as we've mentioned you know we have all of the senior staff that we follow in all of our star trek shows but it's always great to get that kind of behind the scenes look almost with the the lower decks people and and kind of see how people in the universe uh look at say an archer or a topal or any of those things and that's the great thing about a, a character like crewman cutler is she kind of gives us those eyes as well to be able to see our characters through them i would say that an important part of why her appeal is so strong i think it's also because of her relationship with flocks i think i'm just extrapolating here too but i think that the difference in terms of dynamic between let's say hoshi and elizabeth cutler is hoshi is the senior staff she has a relationship with archer she's thrust by default by being on the bridge in a more senior leadership role that she may or may not be ready for that she has to grow into whereas I would imagine Cutler, because she's in sickbay and she because she has a superior in Dr. Flox, who I guess we could say is a little more eccentric, a little less by the book than the bridge officers, I think possibly allows her to have that type of self-confidence, allows her to have her personality shine through more. And I think that's an important role to, to remember, too, is how she related to Flox. And I think we'll mention this later is how she kind of developed those feelings for him. And also how she related to um, or tried to relate to Paul, that she was really wanted to, to learn about uh, different alien species, different alien customs, so that she was really reaching out. And I think because she wasn't a bridge officer, her personality was able to shine through more than, let's say, Hoshi. Well, unfortunately, we only had a couple of episodes that she was able to give us, you know, before she passed. And... The second of the three episodes that we're talking about has a lot to do with this relationship you're talking about, Will, and that's the episode Dear Doctor, episode 13 of the first season. Now, I'd like to go back to that interview where she states that, quote, it's easy for someone to go for the hunky guy. I think it's more fun to have a crush on the old uncle. The actress reckoned shortly following production on Enterprise first season. People now ask what's going to happen between me and Phlox. Well, until they get the script, I have no idea. You know, about the same time as I know. Never in a million years did I think I'd have a crush on Flocks, but I did and I loved it, end quote. I think that, dear Doctor, uh, for me, it's, it's the episode for season one. And what I loved about her in this particular episode was the connection that she's making with so many different members of the crew, especially with Flocks. She became more conscious now than crewmen. She became something additional to, again, the standard bridge crew uh, advisory board that, that, that Starfleet had. Uh, she was able to discuss with expertise the, the situation, the dire situation between the Mank and the Valachians in a way where she could help inform somebody like Flock, someone in his position of trying to make the right decision. I know we've talked about this before, Will, you and I and Tommy and and uh, now Matthew can weigh in on it. How did you feel about where she was in such a short span of time as her character evolved throughout season one in this particular episode? One of the things as I was rewatching the episode today that really struck me was just how advanced Cutler is in the view of the universe and being accepting of other races and in this episode, we're really struck by how the crew, especially through the lens of Dr. Phlox, responds to the problem of, uh, or the perceived problem between the Vlockians and the Mink, and, and how the Mink are treated. And 
in some ways, Cutler falls into that same mold, but at the same time, she's making enormous strides with being accepting of the Doctor and his and completely different culture of, you know, all these different intermarried people and how it works uh, with um, this this whole new race of Denobulans that we had never explored before because it's the first time we've seen them on Star Trek. And I liked that dichotomy of that there's still a little bit of her that has to grow, but really the, the place that she is is so much more advanced than probably more than half the crew on the NX-01. Um, just by the way that she is accepting flocks and even attracted to him in the first place. You know, Paul makes that statement to, to flocks about how lots of times humans are just piquing their curiosity and then they kind of get skittish and, and scared off. Whereas... You know, she tells him at the end, and it's so cute. Let's just see where it goes. You know, let's not put any labels on it right now, but let's see if uh, we continue to get along and all of that. Um, and on the same side, you know, Flox has things to overcome in this episode, so we see that Flox isn't all the way there. You know, uh, he doesn't really like to be touched. Humans tend to be touchy. You know, you're like give each other hugs, you know, when we see each other, fist bumps, whatever, you know, so Phlox has his way of trying to get over some of those, those things that are different about our, our cultures and, and letting go of, of some of those things. So with her, I thought it was really specifically interesting. If you're kind of watching her development through the episode and her relationship with and response to Phlox, it really mirrors well the, the relationship of the crew towards you know, the, the Vlachians, the Mink, and, and especially where, uh, you know, Archer ends up coming at the end with his decision. It, it's not exactly what you'd think would happen. Um, so her falling for, yeah, the old uncle instead of like the hunk, like, you know, Trip or Malcolm or something like that. It's great when Star Trek turns things on his head, you know. Um, hey, Gen Zia was like that too on Deep Space Nine. Uh, she really liked Gallimites, and apparently they have transparent skulls. Not attractive to me, but hey, apparently she enjoyed that, and uh, she thinks Morn's cute too. So in Star Trek, you don't have to be a good-looking guy. I love that uh, to get the girl. Uh, so it's a, it's, a great, it's a great exploration all around I think in Dear Doctor. I mean, Dear Doctor is honestly, I think one of the best episodes of Star Trek in general. Um, and the fact that Kelly gets to play such a great role in that, and they're really setting up a through line for her for where they might have this character go next. Man, really fantastic. Yeah, I think the thing that struck me about this episode was the fact that although she was only a crewman and I think nominally the, the subordinate of Dr. Flox, right? I think this is setting up uh, a callback to, I guess in the Star Trek universe, it's not an issue if a subordinate dates a superior officer. If you go, go back to, I forget the episode title, but when, lessons with TNG. Yeah. Picard uh, yep. dates command. It was just Aaron. on TV tonight. So yeah, it's a great <laughs> episode uh, with the rollout keyboard, all that stuff. It's great. Oh, fantastic. And, and I think it it speaks to a how evolved I guess humanity has become in terms of they trust uh, adults to make adult decisions and responsible decisions regardless of rank. I think the fact that although they're working closely with each other, they had that relationship in the workplace that the the thing that weirded flocks out or kind of gave him pause was how she would react to the fact that he had polymorous relationships that in a lot of ways flocks was the one that was supposedly flummoxed by Cutler's um, kind of subtle advances. And I thought that was a very um, unique twist in the fact that although he is noble and he has been part of the interspecies exchange, medical exchange, that he's obviously more experienced with alien cultures, but it was her being surprisingly more cosmopolitan, I guess is the word, I think was a really interesting um reversal I think in a lot of ways um, and I would say that for me I think the I think the fact that in season one that they were able to establish the the, the foundation for a romantic relationship 
outside of the main characters, right? This is before we were talking about Trip into Paul, before, you know, Archer had his lost loves. I think the fact that they were willing to say in this first season, we're confident enough to begin introducing a romantic storyline with a character that's a minor character and the minor character is expressing romantic relationships with the doctor who is, although part of the main cast, probably not the main cast, I think was bold and it was unfortunate that ultimately that storyline wasn't picked up. I know that uh, Kelly obviously passed away, uh, I think near the end of season two or no in season three, right? Cause it, there's a, there's a mention of her in season three. So I know that there was a time in which the producers actually didn't pick up that storyline again. And I think obviously it's a mistake in hindsight, but um, just the fact that they were so very early on, were able to lay those, um, the foundation for those types of relationships is, is bold and it's indicative of what enterprise uh, could be when it was being ambitious. How about you, Tommy? Uh, do you have anything to add about dear doctor? It's all been summed up pretty well to this point. She, she did a great job in that episode, really continuing to build her character and the relationship with flocks was nice to see if only for the reason that it's nice to see that it's not the senior staff club and then everything everyone under them club you know the senior staff does have friends with other people on the crew and i liked her relationship with Fox a lot it was unfortunate that we weren't able to have any more of kelly involved with star trek because of her untimely passing at 36 and to pick up the last bit of that interview from star trek communicator issue 139 on page 43 i just like to add this last segment It is not known whether the character of Crewman Cutler was to have appeared in later episodes, as she did not appear in any of the episodes in the series' second season, although Cutler was mentioned in an episode of Enterprise's third season. Will, you brought that up. Kelly Waymar had hoped to return to the part after the first season. Shortly following that season, she commented, quote, I don't want to be the nurse that shows up in sickbay and get things for flocks. I hope we get to do something kooky and interesting. And in the last episode that we were able to see her in, episode 25, Two Days and Two Nights, it seems that we were getting to see the pattern of where she was able to fit in when the writers felt it was necessary to show her from a support standpoint as a character. Now, this one wasn't as substantial as Strange New World or near nearly as, as substantial as Dear Doctor, but... It did show off a lot of her comedic timing when she was dealing with Phlox, when Phlox was coming out of hibernation. So that was actually a part where we didn't see too much. For, was She was actually very funny when she wanted to be, and she had this great rapport with John Billingsley. It's just a, it's a huge shame that we didn't get to see more of that relationship, even when she was still alive during the course of season two. I don't know why, and we probably never will know why they didn't pick that up, but just the amount of promise and potential that was lost without following that storyline, to me, is a great disservice to the series and to her as well. So how did you guys feel about that little bit of screen time that we had on Two Days and Two Nights? And do you think that, again, it would have established a pattern of seeing her more in the future in these little bitty bit parts that just help move the story thread along in the B storyline. I think it's funny you mentioned the hibernation scene because especially in the bloopers on the uh, on the Blu-rays or DVDs um, there were a number of takes I believe where they were shooting that scene and she just couldn't get through it without busting out because Flox was so ridiculous. I mean it was hilarious, ridiculous in a good way and I think that's just a really a great example of how she because it felt very much like something her character could do too because she's a very easygoing person and I think that was her personality shining through there and I think using her in that small way in that episode was a great way to keep that character going and keep it relevant without having to have her front and center like she was in Dear Doctor and you're right I have no idea why they didn't continue that in season two there's just so many great opportunities for, for character placement for a character like that I mean, think about what they they gave her in terms of a character. I mean, because Flox was incapacitated with his own personal inducement of, of hibernation, 
he gave her the title of chief medical officer when That's he was true. down. I mean, that is pretty, pretty significant when it comes to taking care of the crew. Even though the, sh- the crew was mostly on shore leave, I mean, she, she was, was in charge. charge. You know, yeah. So for a character that we've only seen up to this point twice and very sparingly, that's a pretty substantial bump in pay, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I mean, it's not like she was given, uh, I mean, because she did have the option of waking the doctor up whenever she needed him, and, and she did. Um, but yeah, that that is a big responsibility for somebody who doesn't get their name run in the opening credits. Yeah, I would say two things. I would say, one, to, to go off your point or about her her sense of humor it reminds me of of Jed Z in a lot of ways because you don't get a very you don't get a lot of sarcastic characters or droll characters well maybe except the doctor i guess in voyager but you don't her personality enables her to have that type of the timing where it's a very dry sense of humor it's very droll at times it can be sarcastic that she has kind of that quippy um personality that you don't see a lot um in Star Trek, especially with the senior staff or any other officer. So I think that was very interesting. I think it's a very modern take on humor. I think you could see that in Enterprise. You have this almost, like again, an, an audience surrogate. You have someone that's, that reminds me a lot of, um, oh, I'm blanking on her name now, um, the mechanic in Firefly, um, Kaylee. Kaylee, right? Exactly. Kaylee. Reminds me a lot of Kaylee, yeah. who would have that type of personality. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great comparison. That is absolutely spot on. Yeah, Jewel State and it has was a lot of similarities too Kelly in Waymar. terms of being produced roughly around the same time. And I think my second point goes to kind of potentially explaining why you know she wasn't carried on in subsequent seasons because I think a lot of season one was a lot of Enterprise trying out all these different storylines, and by the time of season two, and obviously season three and and, and beyond you're going to have much more of a focus on what I call kind of like that Holy Trinity, Archer, Trip, and Paul, And you have uh, the focus on these really self-contained but dense story arcs. And you have a, a shift away from, I think, what makes season one so great is you really have really interesting plot points in each episode, which delves into Boomers, delves into Ryza, delves into the Andorians. They go to a lot of different places in season one. I think it's really overrated. And I think because they were willing to experiment a little more in episode uh, season one, I think it allowed a lot more opportunities for, for crewman Cutler to shine through. But I think as they, as the producers and writers decided to go towards more focused storytelling, focusing on, you know, three particular characters, um, you had less and less of an opportunity to do that. I think ultimately to the show's, uh, detriment, I think, because they really could have had that robust cast of secondary characters in the vein of Deep Space Nine if they had, if they wanted to, and it would have been mm-hmm. uh, really something to see. I was thinking about this too. I think one of the reasons that um, we we got a little bit less for than we might have thought in the season two was that. I, I think they still were under the assumption that Enterprise would be a seven-year s- series and that this would be something they would just kind of play out all over all of those seasons. Uh, I, I think we probably would have gotten, uh, if, if she was had still been alive, you know, she would have been a part of season three. She might have been even more a part of season three because of where it kind of took the crew. Um, and uh, what it was doing to everyone, I think it would have been really interesting to see her uh, response to that mission and 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 just kind of be uh, another person we could have, uh, you know, uh, an, a look at what was happening with these Zindi arc through her eyes. Uh, it would have been really fantastic. Um, so I, I think that they did have plans to continue to bring her back in a lot of the ways that they had with a lot of recurring characters on Deep Space Nine. Uh, but uh, obviously, you know, it's really cut short by the fact that, you know, after her last uh, episode there, you know, then she dies in November on the 13th uh, in 2003. 
and there and there just isn't an opportunity to even think about putting her in anything else. Um, and so she gets that one mention in in season three, which is great. Um, and then her character has actually gone on and done things in the books. So, but uh, yeah, I, I think that might have been the reason that they 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 had her play this kind of role and two days two nights they were going to continue to kind of have her show up and they would put her in when they could i'm sure it's budgetary too because when you have a character like her you have to pay them more you know than you do just any other stand-in who might not have speaking lines but somebody like her is gonna need a little bit more money so they probably had to think about that kind of stuff too uh but it would have been fantastic just to have a character like her basically become one of those kind of deep space nine type characters where by the end you know as much about you know uh her character and crewman cutler as you do you know about like a alita or a rom or something like that you know where they became almost mm-hmm. you know their name are, names aren't in the credits but you kind of feel like garrick's in every season and every episode of the uh you know series of deep space nine except he's in like I don't, oh my gosh, we counted up the number and it's a ridiculously small number. It's like 20, 25 episodes or something. So it's, it's pretty crazy. Uh, but I think she could have been that kind of character if she had been able to at least even just been around for the four seasons. So it was so tragic when, uh, we lost her, you know, uh, the enterprise family, the Star Trek family lost, a uh, they're just a fantastic light and, uh, you know, as, Tommy was saying you watched those those bloopers um, and just somebody who's just so full of life. Uh, so every time I watch through Enterprise and we get to her last episode, it's sad to realize, well, I mean, that's the last time we see her and I just wish they had gotten an opportunity to use her more in season two just so we would have had just a little bit more uh, crewman Cutler. No, I agree. And uh, it's something that Will and I were talking about before and one of the things I think is a great credit to Deep Space Nine, I actually am more interested in watching some of the more interesting secondary characters, like Garrick, you know, especially Garrick, because there's a certain untangible quality about him, a charisma or something that you just can't quite place your finger on that makes him so interesting to watch. And that's what I found out about about Kelly when I watch her as crewman Cutler. There's a backstory there, right? quality. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, in my heart of hearts, I would have loved to have seen the original format for Enterprise where it would have been based more on First Flight, where we would have seen the right stuff That's another episode right there, Norm. Right? Exactly. That's my favorite And we will get to that, I promise you. But... It's so good. Yeah, First Flight is... it's, It's what... It's what Enterprise, the spirit of Enterprise, the series is all about. And it would have been really neat to have seen a handful of these crewmen, like Crewman Cutler, or like some of the other characters that we were able to sprinkle in throughout the course of the four series, and focus on how they made it through the 2151 NX program to get to the ship. I mean, that would have been amazing. And then we would have been able to understand their background. We would have been able to get into their shoes a little bit more. And just the sheer connection that you would have with some of these secondary characters would have been a lot more substantial. And losing them, say, in the Zindi arc to the violence or to the destruction that happened during the course of that entire season would have been so much more compelling. And... I would hate to have seen that happen to Crewman Cutler, but that's the kind of character like Wash in Firefly where it really crystallizes how impactful and how dangerous their mission really was. So she was a the perfect vessel, in my opinion, for the audience to really hang their hat on and to experience something from such a gifted and wonderful actress. And just to throw it out there, because I love the episode so much, I think she would have been the perfect guest star for the episode Catwalk. Yeah. Because yes. that's where that's where a character like that shines. You know, she would have gone from little pocket to pocket to pocket. She would have played cards with one group of crewmen. She would have had maybe, well, they didn't have Cynthia Hall at the time, but maybe she would have had a shot or two, maybe a beer. She would have helped Flocks with his, you know, emergency medical 
set up, it would have been, she would have been everywhere and you would have been able to see the story really through her eyes. And she would have been that, that glue that yeah, holds an episode canon. like that together. No, no. The the fact that the she's in the episode, she's just always <laughs> off screen, like just right off screen, you know, but she's in every scene. So like that's chef, in the head right? canon now. Yeah, ones. exactly. Yeah. She's absolutely you there. Know, I yep. was actually just yep. thinking, just like this chef. Is, I think maybe going to more, more of a serious territory, but remember that episode in, in home when Phlox goes home and he's beaten up right after they, after him and Hoshi go to that restaurant, right? And he's, he's beaten up in that xenophobic attack. How amazing it would have been if they had really fleshed out the romantic subplot with Flux and she comes back to Earth after surviving the entire Zindi ordeal and that uh, humans here on Earth see her in a full-fledged relationship with Flux. And this is kind of a foreshadowing of their uh, attitudes toward, I guess, to Paul and Trip later on that you see in Terra Prime that they're really... Not only are they xenophobic, but they are almost borderline. They are just completely bigoted against any type of, quote unquote, you know, mongrelization or any type of, of, of romantic relationship between humans and non-humans. And, you know, obviously they, they picked that up with Trip and T'Pol. But I think the very first iteration of that could have been, you know, Crewman Cutler and Dr. Flox when they come back. They've had time to develop their relationship, but because of you know, Earth's experiences with the Zindi, they come back and their relationship is not welcomed. Their relationship is is viewed with scorn and distrust. And, you know, it, it could have been that something you could see that character growth in Kuma Cutler, who's naturally very optimistic, but she is possibly shaken to her core because it's someone that she loves, but no one on Earth believes in or, you know, supports that type of relationship. So you could really have seen... That growth too, or would have accepted it, especially publicly for sure. Yeah, well, and it's a good social issue message, you know, uh, interracial marriages, all those kind of things, which people today, for some reason, still can have a problem with. So I think that's a great way of Star Trek talking about an issue that that's still there, um, and it would have been a beautiful thing because it, you know, they would have have developed this relationship through season three, and then they got home in season four. And, you know, maybe they're walking down the street holding hands and all. And, you know, people are mocking her and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, uh, it's it would have been fantastic. Man, Will, what a great idea. That's in my head canon. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Let's just write our want, own Cutler fanfic. And just exactly. We should start, yeah, I, I feel like if uh, Susan Abbott was here from uh, some of our shows, uh, she'd just be telling us we need to write our own fanfic. <laughs> That's a future episode that we definitely have to have Christopher Jones on for because yeah. I know that he would love to be a part of that. So this is the benefit of having the content coordinator what on the I show. Say? So get those, you know, you're going to have to write those notes down. In, in wrapping this episode up, I just wanted to give everyone a, one final opportunity to let yourself express how you felt about Kelly Wehmeyer, how much you appreciated her. This is a Valentine to her. And I hope all the listeners, when you get a chance to to dig into this podcast, take a look at these episodes and really give yourself the opportunity to enjoy the quality that she really brought into the show and just the sheer spirit of of not just her as Crewman Cutler, but you can feel the quality of an actor or actress when they're really hitting the mark. And she does so brilliantly in every single second that she's on screen. So, gentlemen, what would you like to say as a Valentine to our lovely Crewman Cutler? I think for me, I, I you know I often say that Travis is is the metaphor for Enterprise. You saw so little of him, but you what you saw made you want to see more. Arguably, Crewman Cutler is probably even a better metaphor for Enterprise in terms of man, what you saw of her was really great but then it was so tragically cut short, right? And obviously, in this sense, you know, very tragically cut short. And I think in her few scenes, in the few episodes that she was in, such interesting nuggets of of personality, of character, that you knew there was a backstory there, you just didn't know what. So for me, you know, it would have been great to see the storyline of, she seems more cosmopolitan than a lot of other crewmen aboard the Annex 01. Is it because she's had 
more contact with alien life forms. She's had more contact with uh, with other cultures, maybe through the interspecies medical exchange. Maybe she was a part of that before she joined Starfleet. Who knows? But that could have been the entry point for her to have that relationship with Phlox. And then down the road, that relationship with Phlox could have been that kind of uh, the symbol of, of humanity's xenophobia and what they have to overcome before they become the Federation or become the linchpin of the Federation. So there's so many elements there that could have been sprung out from, that could have been developed from, that unfortunately for many reasons weren't developed. So it's just one of the things of, you know, you enjoy what you have, but you always wonder what if. So for that, I think she's definitely, uh, definitely deserves her own episode as we're doing right now. So I think that every time that I watch the episodes that she's in, I kind of fall in love with her all over again. And then I remember that she passed and it, it makes me sad um, that uh, we lost Kelly and I remember learning that that had happened and just, it was kind of a, I don't know, it wasn't somebody I, I didn't know her or anything like that, but it was just a shock to have it happen, you know, um, to somebody that you had seen on a TV show you liked and to have them die. And, it, you know, it wasn't anything that she could have prevented, honestly, you know, it just, it just happened. And, um, it made me sad that she wouldn't be on the show anymore. Um, but it also made me sad that, that she just wasn't alive anymore um, because of the, the the vitality she had on the show. I, I think in real life she was just probably somebody who was, was like that to everyone around her. And the world just needs more people like that. And the character that she played being somebody like you said, Will, so cosmopolitan, so open um, and... Uh, so beautiful in her views on on other species and everything and really being out there to learn i'm um, kind of being the best picture of humanity in the crew in a lot of ways i think was fantastic and and she was such a small part yet that all comes through because of, of the the talent that she had as an actress and you're missed still kelly because um, we, we every time we watch Enterprise, we still miss you, the fact that you're not still there. Um, and we are so thankful that you were on a few episodes of, of a show that we still want to talk about. Um, and uh, the fact that we can continue to write things for you speaks so highly of, of who you are, uh, even to us now. And uh, what a legacy to leave. I think, uh, to Matthew's point of it being a shock it's especially a shock considering how young she was and the fact that nobody really knew that you know that that she had a life-threatening condition and it's also really disappointing from the standpoint of a major celebrity can pass and you know for for a whole week or two people will start spreading awareness on Facebook or something. And, and even that will, you know, in a week or two, uh, people just kind of forget about it. But then you have somebody like uh, Kelly, who is just kind of this lesser known TV actress. And the only people talking about it are people like us 10 years later. It's, I guess it's just, I, I think she along with a lot of people, I think she deserves more attention to her legacy than she probably gets because she was clearly a very, very talented actress and she brought a lot to a character that otherwise would have just been another face. I mean, we see some of the other guest shots from the show, uh, notably the other character that went down to the surface with them in Strange New World. I mean, we never heard about that. Was he an ensign? I don't remember. Crewman, something like that. We don't really hear about or see him again. Um, but for some reason, every once in a while, you get this talent that really strikes you. And it's it's not, I don't think, quantifiable. In some ways, quantify somebody's acting skill. But there's just some things that some people have, and, and she had it. And um, it at least... It, I guess it's a testament to to Trekkies in some ways that you know we're we're helping to keep her memory alive and and I'm glad to be a part of that and and it is certainly too bad that she didn't get to do more on the show. 
know, the one thing that I love about really diving into a series, as we all do, is investing ourselves in the characters and investing ourselves not only in the characters on screen, but the actors and actresses who portray them off screen. And in wanting the series that we love to succeed, we want them to succeed. And when the series ends and when they're gone, there's a certain sense of emptiness that follows that. And Matthew, you and Christopher talked about this on The Orb not too long ago when you you covered the very final episode of Deep Space Nine. Was it What You Leave Behind? Parts one and two. And when Enterprise ended its fourth season, we were very sad because we're not getting enough of that story. But we're also sad because the actors that we have become attached to throughout these four years and in all of these episodes, they don't get to continue on these these characters, these journeys, and and the successes that they've that they've become accustomed to as actors, because there's nothing better for an actor than to get, you know, a repeating series. When it comes to Kelly Waymeyer and Kareem Cutler, what I find that strikes me the most about this loss is that if she were alive and she were part of this series that you know that was cut, at least we would have gotten more of her on screen more of her memory, more of this character. But tragically, we didn't get enough of her in life. You know, it's, even if she didn't appear on another episode of Enterprise, I am certain to my core that an actress of this quality with that kind of vibrance and that kind of sparkle would have been somewhere else. And we would have followed her there because sometimes it's not just the character that you love, it's the person that inhabits the spirit of that character and what they bring to that character. Adrian Paul is one of my all-time favorite actors, and he's not doing Highlander anymore, but I will watch anything that he's in because that's the character actor that I love so much. I'll, I'll, if he does a, a dog food commercial, I'll watch that. You know, So that's what she was able to bring. And think about it this way. In less than probably... 40 minutes of total screen time to us as fans. Not even a full hour's worth of an episode. Yet she leaves this incredible memory of work and of spirit for us. And that's what I would like to say. Thank you, Kelly. And thank you for giving us this gift of your performance in Enterprise. So our Valentine to you. It's been an honor talking about the incredibly talented and lovely Kelly Waymire as Crewman Cutler here in the Decon Chamber. But this isn't the only topic we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. I really, really, really hope that if they do that, they make Chang the villain because... You know, Captain Chang instead of General Chang or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, that just seems like the perfect way to go. Earl Grey. All right, Riker, we're promoting you to captain. I mean, you uh, you killed the last captain. We usually don't reward that. That's usually not a policy. But in this case... Well, well, to be fair, he had spent some time on a Klingon ship. The Orb. But the Federation and Bajor as a member of the Federation would be helping rebuild Cardassia. And I could see, like, very much the relationship between the U.S. and Japan today. I could see the Federation and Cardassia having that kind of relationship moving forward. To the journey! Julie has a very distinct pain noise. Yeah, she you know kind what I'm of talking does. About? It sounds sort of like she's suffocating. Yeah, it sounds like she's suffocating and sometimes, and I'm going to keep it clean, not always in pain. The ready room. He is the best cosplayer ever because he's so buried himself in his part that we have no idea who this guy is outside of the impersonation of Tuvok. Exactly. He's the Christian Bale of the Delta Quadrant. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. If I'm not mistaken, in any upcoming episode of Next Generation, we don't see full-grown golden retrievers running around the decks of the Enterprise. And I'm also a little worried that Captain Picard has never played with puppies. Commentary, Trek stars. But you'd rather see Red in charge than him. Oh yeah, totally. (laughs) Because you really want Porn Stash to go down. 
Yes, yes, you do. And that sentence out of context sounds really strange. Literary treks. As great as Picard is and his Picard maneuver, uh, I don't think Picard straightening his shirt is going to help him uh, <laughs> when he's going up against the Riker maneuver. Fair enough, so. yeah. Axanar, the official podcast. The change that we've made, the change to the nacelles and uh, several other aspects of these ships to make them distinct and, and not the same ships as uh, in, in Star Trek 2009. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Now gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me on this journey and on this Valentine for Kelly Waymeyer. Tell us where all of our fans can find you online or around the interwebs so that they might be able to share a memory with you or a story or some type of tribute to this fantastic actress that we've talked about tonight. Uh, of course, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing the 602 Club, where we talk about all things geeky. We just pick a new topic each week and talk about that. So whether it's a movie or comics or uh, talking about a TV show or something like that, just anything kind of within that geek wheelhouse. Also do the Orb with Christopher Jones, where we talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine, the series. And then, of course, also working with Dan, where we talk about the books and comics of Star Trek on literary treks. So it was actually a great treat for me to, you know, to have um, Matthew here from the 602. As you know, in Trek FM listening land, uh, he and I are on that show quite frequently together, and it's uh, it was a real treat to have him here in the Decon Chamber with us. So Matthew, thank you uh, for joining us tonight. Well, yeah, I gotta say, I really like the gel. It's uh, ooh, it's making feel tingly. <laughs> We did get the feels going on in here. Yes, so yes, we for all did. the listeners out there, um, thank you for joining us in the feels because you know, she deserved it. So, Will, uh, when you're not uh, trying to kicking off the snow off your boots and uh, not sharpening off that shovel to cut through all of that white stuff up there, how can our fans get in touch with you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Will underscore Win, spelled N-G-U-Y-E-N. You can also find me in the Babel Conference, uh, which is Trek FM's dedicated Facebook listeners group. And I'm also an associate producer of The Orb, Earl Grey, and oh, oh, Literary Treks, uh, Matthew's other show. So um, hit me up on any of those places, and I'm more to talk. I'm always available to talk about anything. So Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the show tonight. And Tommy, how can our fans get in touch with you if they needed to discuss maybe something about Star Trek Horizon with you? Well, uh, the main place that I usually post is on the Star Trek Horizon Facebook page, and that's just facebook.com slash sthorizon, or you can just search it on Facebook, Star Trek Horizon. Um, I do have a Twitter. I don't usually post there very often, but uh, that's Tommy G Dog, T-O-M-M-Y-G-D-A-W-G, but the main place I usually post is on the Star Trek Horizon page. Fantastic, Tommy. And again, thank you for being part of the show tonight. And thank you for sharing all of your insights about Kelly Waymeyer and Crewman Cutler with us. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels, along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. I also want to take this moment to say a special thank you to our associate producer for Warp 5, Floyd Dorsey. Thanks so much, Floyd, for all of your support on the network and through patreon.com. And you can find Floyd on the Babel Conference, Trek FM's dedicated Facebook listeners page. If you would like to get in touch with Trek FM across subspace and the interwebs, you can always find us on trekfm slash content 
and look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm, Facebook, facebook.com slash trekfm, and as I just mentioned earlier, the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trekfm and click discussion on the menu bar. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor, who helps us bring Warp 5 and all of our shows to you each week, and our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Warp 5 and the network. And don't forget to check out Enterprise in Space, a project of the nonprofit National Space Society that will design and launch an 8-foot orbiter and return the craft to Earth. The NSS Enterprise Orbiter will carry more than 100 student-designed science experiments into space, and you can make it happen. Visit enterpriseinspace.org to find out more and to get your seat on the mission. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can always find me here on the network or on the Babel Conference, our dedicated Facebook listeners page, or on Twitter at Norman Lau. That's N-O-R-M-A-N-L-A-O. And I'm also a huge supporter of Alec Peters and the Axonar Project, and you can find me on the dedicated Axonar fan group page on Facebook as well. Lastly, I'm a proud sponsor of Trek FM through Patreon, and I'm an associate producer of four shows here on the network, Warp 5, The Orb, The 602 Club, and Axonar, the official Axonar podcast. So thanks everyone for listening, and join us again next time here in the Decon Chamber for another episode of Warp 5. <laughs>